Welcome to the Run for PRs podcast. This is your host, Victoria Phillippe. The Run for PRs podcast was created to give away the secrets to transform your training to reach your goals. We ask all the expert run coaches and athletes the questions that you've been dying to know the answers to. We will get the inside scoop on what really makes you the best athlete that you can be. Have you ever seen a fast runner and wonder, wow, how did they get so fast? Well, then this podcast is for you. We are going to do a deep dive to reveal the secrets to reaching your potential as a runner. The progressive overload principle. We are often asked what workouts are best and what is the best weekly mileage to run given the event that you're training for. The simple answer is it's appropriate to use the progressive overload principle. And a lot of people are like, what is that? The idea is that you are starting with the mileage where you are at and the workouts where you are at, and you're slowly building micro stresses over a period of time to lead your body to have specific adaptations. Each training plan should be different because each athlete is starting at a unique starting point. You need to assess your background and goals before you jump into a big training plan or cycle. So I have with me today, Jason Phillippe, who is the head cross country and distance track coach at the University of Wisconsin, River Falls. He has 10 years of experience with working with runners and, you know, working with runners anywhere from the 5k all the way up to an ultra marathon or even like the one mile all the way up to ultra marathon, excuse me. Um, And it's just very interesting to hear how a lot of people will come to us and say, oh, like I found this free plan online, or sometimes they try to use some of the content that we've created on our social media page. And those are great tips. um, But if you don't really have like the background to kind of understand how to utilize those tips, it can often steer people in the wrong direction. So Jason, what are some of the benefits of kind of starting where you're at versus diving into a training plan that maybe you found online? Yeah, definitely. When you start with where you're at, you're less likely to, um, you know, get injured. You're less likely to reach burnout after a few weeks. Um, you're typically able to be more, have more energy for the workouts as they come because you're not overdoing it. And so when you're starting with where you're at, let's say you're starting at 20 miles a week. Um, I would say that's a pretty average, you know, ballpark that a lot of our clients start at. Um, we just really want to make sure that we're not jumping right into 30 mile weeks because, what happens then is your body's under this increased stress level and you're more susceptible to injury or getting sick um, or burnout. So we just really want to, you know, obviously we talked in the past about being careful about adding workouts and adding mileage together. So it's something that we want to make sure that we're doing kind of separately and thinking about the big picture and the long term, as well as like, what are your short term goals in any races that you have? Right. And what I find really interesting, I think kind of the biggest starting point for most people is finding what is your current mileage. And that's where really that's the biggest factor when you first look at a plan. And I know for a lot of athletes, you know, if they're in a marathon training cycle, if they're in a half marathon training cycle, or it's good weather, it's summer, it's spring, um, let's say they would be running 30 to 40 miles a week and they know their body can handle it, you know, like 35 miles a week, they know their body can handle it. But right now, and like for the last couple of weeks, they've been, you know, not running as much, maybe, you know, not, not as many miles, but they know that in the past they've been able to run 35, 40 miles a week. So, you know, is it tempting to just then go on and find a plan that starts at 35, 40? Like, how do you know that you can't just jump up in mileage? Um, can some people get away with that? Like, what's the rule of thumb? 
Uh, I mean, it, it really depends on how long it's been since you were running consistently, how many years of running you have under your belt, that sort of thing. Um, you know, for me, I would probably, I've done, I've made this mistake where I've maybe taken, I don't know, two months where I've just kind of ran when I felt like it. And the average miles were probably between 10 and 20. Um, and then you get to a point where you want to start a, a cycle and you start your training. And if you start too high, like I maybe started at 35 or 40 miles a week, you know, and you feel good for about two to three weeks, but eventually you reach a point where something really start, flares up and it starts to affect you from, you know, completing the workouts for that week. And then you have setbacks. So I think it's important that you just have a couple of kind of pre-filler weeks to get you to that point and you know, make sure that you're slowly building, you know, week on, um, upon each other from week to week and then uh, to get you ready to the, be at that baseline to start. Right. So I think we kind of drove home the point about starting where you're at with mileage. So, you know, if you've really only been running 20 miles a week, you shouldn't jump into a plan that's more than, you know, 25 miles a week. It should just really be that progressive approach. Um, And then I think the biggest rule of thumb that's out there is no more than 10% increase per week. So if you're at 20 this week, you know, the idea is no more than 22 next week and then 24 the following week, and then it just kind of builds on itself from there. I mean, everyone's different within this. You know, if you take two weeks completely off after a marathon, we're not saying, oh, you have to start back at zero. It's right. it's kind of like you're starting back at where your taper mileage was, and, you know, there's some wiggle room within there, and I think it's important to just know that we're talking more at the beginning of a training cycle. If you find this plan online, and you know you're at 20 miles a week and the plan's starting you off at 30 um you might actually feel fine for a couple of weeks but eventually your body will kind of hit a breaking point you won't be able to finish the plan and it's actually extremely common um i get people a lot who have come to me and they they use the term um i peaked too soon and so jason how does that sort of misunderstanding kind of relate to the whole principle of progressive overload when someone thinks they peaked too soon. Well, I think, you know, what you were just explaining there, a 20% increase, what that reminds me of is just consistency over time, because that's not a huge jump, especially if you're only running, you know, around the 20 mile range. Um, it's going to take you a while to really build up to into the forties. Um, and so I think when people say they peaked too soon, what they probably did was they I don't know, maybe not double their mileage, but maybe they had like a 50% increase in mileage. And then after a couple of weeks, they just kind of, as I mentioned before, you know, you feel good for three weeks and then something starts to maybe just um, hurt on you or you start to feel a little run down. And so then you start to think, oh, I peaked. And so I think that that's where that misconception maybe comes in. And to avoid that, I would just say starting with being as consistent as possible. I know one thing I've started doing with new athletes I work with is get a really clear understanding of what was their average number of miles for like the last four to six weeks? Um, what was their longest run? And then their average long run too. So that way I can really gauge, uh, you know, just how far they're going. Cause if they want to start a marathon cycle, we want to make sure that we don't just throw them into like a 12 mile run. If their longest run was seven or eight miles. Right. That's a really good point too, because just cause you're running, you know, 40 miles a week, that could look so different on so many different athletes, depending on who you are, what you're training for, just, you know, 40 miles a week, you can split that many different ways within a seven day period. Uh, you know, some people, maybe they're running eight miles, five days a week. Another athlete might be running twice a day, literally five days a week, and they're doing four mile runs every time. Um, you could have another athlete who's doing a, I don't advise doing this, but there could be another athlete who's running like a 20 mile long run 
and then doing four or five mile runs during the week. So you get a really wide variety of what 40 miles a week could look like. Uh, But the idea here, again, like you were saying is the long run is important. Like how long have you been going on long runs? Because if you're about to dive into a plan um, and you're jumping up more than two miles on your long run, it it could potentially be um, an issue. You know, you want to slowly build. You don't want to go from, oh, well, eight is my longest run, but you know, I've ran 10 marathons. And so I can just dive in and, and just jump up to like 15 miles. I can just double my long run. Um, sure. Your body could do that, but what we're looking at is the progressive overload principle. And the reason why that is important is because you want to peak at the right time and you want to have the incremental stress so that it all leads to that one goal race. Um, Your body can physically handle doing too much too soon, but what is going to end up happening is burnout or that whole physiological when people think I peaked too soon, Um, which is more or less saying I couldn't sustain the workload that I was doing. And so I had to stop. And what we want to avoid happening is where you're two months out from your goal race and you feel the need that you need to stop because you can no longer sustain the workload. So it's very important to start slow. And as a result of that, I mean, I've coached a lot of people. Jason's coached a lot of people. How do some people react um, the first time they get a plan from you uh, if they've already been you know, running consistently? Um, do you ever get pushback or feedback from people seeing that it looks boring? Um, once in a while, you know, I really try to do a good job kind of pre-front, you know, prefacing like what the training plan is going to look like and why we're doing things. So I don't get a lot of comments or questions, but once in a while you'll get somebody who just, you know, they want to run faster or they're, you know, they're asking why are they running, like, for example, threshold pace, they feel like they could be running faster. And so, you know, really helping them understand what the importance is of threshold and, um, that it's really not running, you know, 90 to 95% of your max. It's really closer to about that 80% range. So you should feel like you could run that pace for a long time. So it's really just uh, about kind of how you preface it and, you know, get, the, get them to buy into what you're doing. Um, the other thing is, too, when we rush our training program and, you know, if we're skipping, skipping weekly blocks, weekly steps to get to that point, you know, we're not really developing all of our all of our systems like we should. So the longer we can be consistent, I think the better we're, you know, we're adding, we're adding money in the bank in terms of building your aerobic capacity. So that's really what we want to do over time. Right. Yeah. That's a really good point is just the consistency over time. And I think a lot of people, you know, and social media doesn't help this, but I think even before social media, this, this would come up, you know, people would, compare workouts or feel like if they're not getting that I'm run into the ground or I'm going all out sort of feeling, um, that they're not making improvements. And that's actually like the complete opposite. So a lot of the times the biggest physiological gains are going to be from the incremental changes that you make. Um, it's never the result of, oh, I did this one amazing workout or I totally went 100% on all of these workouts and all those sort of things. Um, While it feels good sometimes to empty the tank and to really push ourselves to our physical limits, it actually is not advantageous with growth. Um, So the reason why there's a lot of people out there who say, you know, you should only run one marathon a year or one marathon every six months. um, The reason, the whole idea there is that you don't want to do 100% max stress all the time because that requires a prolonged recovery it's it's just not something that you can continue to do and see 
massive gains. And so the biggest thing that people have a misconception of is that you got to always be pushing the envelope, pushing the limit, going all in. Um, when really in reality, it's like 80% effort consistently, like week after week doing those, those somewhat stressful workouts actually lead to better results than like having these crazy workouts where you're going hundred percent, but then it takes you forever to recover from. And it's like a domino effect. And I mean, you can even think about this principle in other areas of your life. Um, you know, it, it could be true for a lot of things where, you can't always go like all in. Like if you pulled an all nighter like once a week, eventually it's going to like catch up with you. You know, the best way to get good sleep isn't to, you know, sleep for 20 hours one day and then just be all wired for a whole day and then not sleep. And just that's not the best way. The best way, eight hours every night. Boom, boom, boom. Um, and it's all about the consistency there and getting your body um, familiar with that and allowing that recovery in between for the growth and not doing a max effort all the time because a max effort takes longer to recover from and it might not even be stressing um, the right systems. You know, sometimes I like to think about weightlifting, for example. You know, you're not testing your one max rep. The idea when you're lifting isn't to like go into that first set and just like, oh, to exhaustion. And you always are stopping when it's like a little bit too hard and you think like maybe you can do one more. Um, You don't go to complete failure um, in weightlifting. And so the same thing is with running. Um, And I know, yeah, I know a lot of people will use the word that it's boring or basic. Um, Have you ever, you know, as an athlete or as a coach kind of looked at someone else's training and thought, oh, like maybe I should be doing more of that or questioned yourself because of the intensity or the mileage just wasn't there. And kind of how do you, how do you like talk yourself away from that mindset Mm -hmm. of I have to be doing what these other people are doing or I have to be doing more? Yeah, I definitely think, I mean, especially with social media, definitely, um, you know, with the prevalence of that these days and everyone sharing their workouts and their training, I think it, you can't help but wonder, like, should I be doing this too? Or what should I change? Or um, I should be doing the same training because we have similar PRs and that sort of thing. And for me, I just, I really just remind myself like that, you know, we're all, we're all different types of athletes and, you know, myself being more of an injury prone runner, I'm always a little bit more cautious. So that helps me stay grounded and knowing what I can handle. But, um, you know, thinking even back to college, like before social media, we didn't really have um, you know, people posting their workouts on Instagram. So you're, it's more about just talking to people in person when you meet up with them at races, or, um, maybe you see their times that they run and then you, I don't know, you might read about some of their workouts on a message board if they're, if they're somewhat in a, at an elite level. But, um, I think it's always kind of been there though, the, the thought of maybe I should be training harder. Maybe I should be doing more. Um, but for me, I always just think about, you know, I think a balanced approach is going to be the best approach for me because it's going to keep me um, kind of wanting more, it's going to keep me at a sustained level that I can hopefully stay at for many, many years. And I'm not going to be burnt out or, you know, with a serious chronic injury. Right. And I think sometimes it's hard for people to kind of follow that mindset and just trust the process of, you know, I don't need to be killing myself every workout. I don't need to be doing a ton of super flashy work 
you know, a lot of athletes who we coach, you know, we share a lot of our athletes spotlights on social media and, you know, people take 60, 80 minutes off their marathon time and they become Boston qualifiers when their first marathon was five hours. And everyone like wants to know the secret. Everyone wants that instant gratification. They want to know what the quick fix is. But really, the, the quickest way to get those results and to have that success is going to be the progressive overload principle. It's starting where you're at, doing progressively more, and not just going all in, not going all the way up in mileage, not going to you know super long, long runs right away. It just takes time, and you know, not a lot of people want to hear that it's going to take some time, but... The benefit is when you train like this, uh, you know, you're going to actually be able to be in the sport for longer, whereas you might be watching someone training a specific way and they're really just like upping their mileage, upping their long runs, and they might be seeing results in the short term and short term even being like one year, 18 months, that's still considered short term. But, you know, in five years from now, it'll be interesting to kind of see where the cards lie because your body can only handle um, that extreme amount of stress all at once for, you know, shorter periods of time um, physiologically. But if you really want to be in the sport for a long time, that's why, you know, as a high school and college track coach, it's really important that Jason make sure that he's not driving his athletes into the ground and you know, there's a lot of programs that we know of, uh, you know, at the high school level where you have a great high school athlete and it just, you, you load, 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 load. And they're getting to a load where it's, it's like, wow, how did, how did they get to such a high mileage to so many workouts so quickly? I mean, just two years ago, they were hardly running anything. Um, and so the, the load was not progressed slowly. It was just plotted on these people. And usually those, I mean, there's some outliers out there, but usually the story is along the lines of, um, not having a successful career in college and then like no not running later in life just because you have this negative experience where I'm working really hard why am I not improving and maybe you know it ends up in an injury or a stress fracture or whatever it is um you know two three years into doing this big load and then people are confused because they it's not like oh I went out and did a 20 mile long run um and I'm doing 100 miles a week three weeks in a row and then I get injured no it's like they did that for three years and then finally their body like shut down. So I think it's important to know that these things are not something that's an overnight, you know, it's not going to slap you in the face overnight. It's something that happens over time. Um, have you ever had an athlete where this kind of happened to them and you realized it, you know, or maybe you've witnessed someone that you know, where you're like, wow, they're really doing a lot. And then, you know, two years later, they're just not running anymore. Yeah, I mean, you see it every year. If you're, if you follow high school cross country, probably in your state, you know, you'll see freshmen or sophomores who are, um, probably leading the pack at the state meet. And then you wonder what kind of happened when they're a junior, senior. They're just not, they're not up there anymore. And, you know, they maybe had an injury which set them back, but sometimes it's, it's not just because of the injury. It's, it's mainly just the regression. Um, they plateaued and then they, um, yeah, maybe, I don't know what went on, if they lost motivation for a while or, or what, but the training just, you know, it probably took a toll on them. Um, and, you know, being a college coach right now, I have athletes that, you know, like my two of my girls, they want to run. One of them wants to run with the faster one, um, just because she wants to be that fast. And so I let her do that for the first workout or two this year, just to see what she would do and see how she felt. And we found that it was taking her longer to recover. And um, I said, "Well, let's just back off these next few workouts." Um, 
And ever since she's done that, she's really been feeling stronger. And I think this, the moment she stopped kind of trying to compare herself to this other girl is when she's starting to kind of believe in her own abilities. And, and I've seen an increase in confidence. So I think that the, the less that you can compare yourself to other people and just try to train to your strengths is going to help you. Um, and then when you, you know, when you do progress your overload each week, just make sure that you're trying to focus on some of your weaknesses. So if, if you haven't incorporated much speed before, make sure that's part of your, your regimen. Or if you have always lacked your steady state, your marathon pace work, make sure that that's part of your plan as well. Right. And it's really interesting to hear, you know, I feel a common theme coming up in this podcast, even though it wasn't about that at all, is about comparing yourself and your training to other people and using that kind of as a benchmark. And that can be a problem. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, if you're an athlete and you kind of almost know what you need to do, right? Like if you have a coach, they tell you this is what you need to do, uh, blah, blah, blah. And like, if you trust your coach, then it shouldn't be, you know, an issue. But I think the biggest thing where people fall into the comparison trap or the problems here of not trusting the training, not trusting the coach is when you're looking around too much at what other people are doing. It's like, oh, well, she's doing this and oh, well, she's doing that and that's my goal and I want to be like her and it just turns into catastrophe because you're not focusing on yourself. You're not focusing on what you need to be doing in your training and, you know, doing one or two things incorrectly in your own training leads to a domino effect of, you know, setback after setback. And then it leads you to not trusting the training. And then you just want to do this massive overload, um, instead of the progressive overload. So it's very interesting. Um, a lot of it comes down to trusting the process and giving yourself time, say, you know, I know this is a new way of training. You know, if people are listening and they're like, oh, I don't know if I, I, I don't know if I believe it. I don't know if I want to try it. Um, like what's the worst thing that could happen? You know, if you're at a plateau and you're at a place where you feel like you just need to change something, I, I would recommend just trying to change, uh, how you're, how you're loading the stress. Um, and you know, I've seen people where they've been doing like more of a massive overload for a very long time. And even me, Four years ago, I, I probably fell victim to that where I was like, I'm just going to do a ton, like a ton of mileage, a ton of workouts. Um, and then I kind of fell into a plateau. And it's hard to talk yourself out of that plateau because you're in a spot where you're not improving and you're doing a ton of work. And then you're like, well, what do I do from here? I can't back off, right? Because then I'll get slower. Uh, but it's funny because a lot of the times it's the exact opposite result that'll happen if you just back off and start um, training correctly and training smart, training where you're at um, instead of forcing the fitness. A lot can be said there. Um, <clears throat> when people refer to training smarter, not harder, is this kind of the same approach or how does that all tie in? Yeah, I think for that, it's mainly when we're going to focus more on the process and not not the outcome. So when a lot of us think about a goal we want to achieve, let's say it's, I don't know, four to six months out, and we have this time associated with a distance that we we want to reach because it's maybe a new, maybe it's a PR. Um, so we think about the training that needs to go into it in order to you know run that time. We need to be doing mile repeats at this pace or a tempo run I need to be able to sustain at this pace. And sometimes... Um, you know, while, while it may be somewhat true that we need to have those types of performances that indicate we are at that certain fitness level, we don't need to, we don't need to rush it. We don't need to be doing those right away. We need to work at kind of where we're at and slowly build the workouts in and just focus on the process, like the things we can do from, you know, each day, each week so that, um, 
you know, we can maybe better, better handle it when we get to that point. And so I think that, you know, allowing your body slowly time to adapt is going to be the best method for that. Um, but I always try to, you know, help my, help my athletes focus on like one day at a time and just the little things that we can do each day to make us better are going to help us in the long run. Um, you know, you're obviously always going to have that thought in the back of your mind, like your, what is your long-term goal? And that's kind of your reminder for when your motivation starts slipping. But I definitely think focusing on that process and, and the things you can do on a daily basis are going to be better than, um, than focusing on the outcome. Right. Focusing on the process is super important and just developing habits and a system to reach your goals um, instead of focusing so much on the results. Because I think a lot of the time when people get into that massive overload mindset of doing a ton, they're focusing too much on the goal and not enough on the system that's in place to help them reach that goal. And so it's just really important to remember that small changes over time yield big results. Um, and that's, it's just like a compounding effect. You know, a lot of people know what compound interest is and that's the thing that'll really get you, you know, like it's, it's that effect over time, what happens. Um, uh, I guess the biggest question here, you know, a lot of people are like, well, this sounds amazing. It sounds great. Everyone should do the progressive overload principle and everyone's just always going to improve and it's progressive. Um, so what if like, you're not improving when using the progressive overload principle and like, what happens? Yeah. I mean, it's, this is where obviously maybe, maybe hiring a coach for the first time, like if you haven't shown improvement, you got to try something new, right? So, you know, even, even elites struggle with this because maybe they get to a point where they run like a 208 marathon and then they're thinking, how can I shave off another 30 seconds or a minute? But I think that there's always ways to improve. We just need to change our approach. So maybe focusing on different things, maybe it's some little things that we haven't done before, um, like plyometric drills or form running or um, things that we can do in the weight room, explosion type stuff, or maybe it's going to be slowing down on easy runs, or maybe it's going to be incorporating more strides and more speed. And so I just think that there's always creative things that we want to try to, um, you know, think about adding um, the best the best approach I can say is just to stay open-minded and try something new. And if you're kind of in a rut and you're not quite sure what to do, I think that's where a coach could come into play and just help you, help challenge you, maybe do a deep dive in your background, figure out um, what's worked for you in the past, what have you been doing recently, and what are some ways we can kind of maybe start to stimulate a new uh, excitement or just new form of strength that you know we haven't seen in the past. Right. Yeah, that's a really good answer. And it's also important to notice, like you were saying, is, you know, the training is only one piece of the puzzle. And there's so many areas within training, not just the running workouts, I mean, that you can look for improvements and look for ways to better yourself. So if you're so hyper focused on hitting your paces, hitting the workouts, doing all your mileage, all that stuff. Sometimes we can just fall victim to thinking that's the only thing that matters and not work, working on all of the other aspects. So it's important, you know, progressive overload on other areas of your life. So if you can just increase, you know, 1% in other areas, like let's say you're recovering better, like you're sleeping a little bit more, you're focusing on having better nutrition, like healthier diet, not drinking as much, all of those little things Um, Or just running in like good shoes. I am always amazed when people like don't (laughs) take care of like their shoe situation and get, you know, good footwear. Um, A lot of people are really good about this. It's usually like hit or miss. Like some people are like, oh, I've been wearing the same shoes for four years or there's most people have running shoes and they're, they're good about that. But it's amazing to me how people don't want to like invest in other aspects that would really help them. Um, Cause if you add up, you know, if, if all across the board, your sleep, 
your nutrition, the shoes, all of those things. And if you're just 1% better at them, well, that you're, you're getting better and it all will multiply and translate into your training. So I think instead of focusing so much on the running and focusing on those things, you know, there are times when you're not going to see improvement. Duh. I mean, it takes time to improve. You know, it takes six weeks to really see physiological benefits. And if you're already so close, I mean, we did a whole podcast on the uh, diminishing returns. I mean, if you're already very close to your potential and you're already a very fast runner, I mean, it's going to take you even longer to see a, a more drastic result. You know, you could be training for six months to shave 60 seconds off your, your half marathon time or something like that. So it's important to know that sometimes you can't see the progress in a workout uh, necessarily right off the bat. There's so many factors that go into that. Um, but just knowing and trusting the training and allowing yourself, you know, a year or maybe even two years to just see, you know, is this working for me? Um, all of these things are long-term. It's not an instant gratification. Sure. You might feel better, you know, the first couple of weeks, but that's not really what you're looking for. A lot of these running goals are all long-term running goals. And I think the biggest trap that people can get caught up into is thinking, I'm going to sign up for a training plan eight to 12 weeks out from my goal race and everything's just going to fall into place. And sometimes that does happen. Sometimes people are lucky. Sometimes people already have a good base established, but more often than not, uh, there's a lot of uncontrollable things that can go on. I mean, there's so many things that are not addressed during those eight to 12 weeks. You know, it, it can take time. It, it takes time and it's a process. Um, so even though someone might have had a successful eight-week marathon training cycle, that doesn't mean that that's a norm. Um, and it definitely doesn't mean that that's the, the right way to do it. Um, so I think it's important, you know, if you haven't been progressing, you've been at the same spot for a while, maybe, you know, looking at other variables, seeing what you can change, changing it incrementally and seeing what happens and, and being patient, you know, a year is, is a reasonable amount of time, I think, to kind of look back and see, am I making progress or not? <clears throat> and I guess another question that kind of ties into, you know, measuring your progress and all of that good stuff, because that's, that's the really the fun part about running is that you can measure your progress, right? Like you can see, oh, I ran this time on this course last year, and now I'm, I'm aiming for this time. And you know, there's a, that time clock piece involved. And I think that's, that's the part that people get really excited about to some extent, or maybe, you know, your goal is to run the longest you've ever ran and train for a marathon and you can physically see, okay, well I couldn't run 20 miles and now I can run, you know, 22 or whatever it was. Um, so is, if like you're training two athletes and they've been with you for the same amount of time, like are the results going to be the same? Like, does everyone progress at the same rate, even though like, I mean, how does that play out and what factors go into that? I think a lot of the factors you just mentioned. So really, um, you know, each individual athlete is going to be different in what they respond to. And some, some maybe, um, you know, they may have a similar 5K PR, but that doesn't mean their 10K or the half marathon PR is going to be the same, even if the training was pretty close. You know, we could write the same training program. And I have athletes like that right now where, you know, they, for the most part, we do the same training because we're all, we're close in ability and fitness level. So our cross country kids, they're all running the same distance. And now we get on the track and, um, you know, depending on the race and the distance there, the, who plays first, who plays second, that could change every other race. So it's really, it's kind of about the factors on race day, maybe the factors leading up to the race that week, like who's getting good sleep, who's got other stressors in their life. Um, you know, who responded well, better to the workout that we had most recently, um, depending on if it was more of like a, a longer tempo session or if it was more of a, a speed session where maybe their legs got a little bit more fried. So I think it really just depends on, on all those factors. And so obviously we know that 
Um, you can never really predict these things. It's going to come down to just how you're feeling in the moment and on race day and, and honestly, mental training, I know we haven't touched on that much, but that plays a huge role too. So who's, you know, who's in the, the right headspace for that day as they approach their race and, you know, really who wants it more because just because you put in more work doesn't mean you're going to be entitled to a faster time than you ran on the course last year. You're still going to need to go out and execute a smart race plan, but also, um, you know, mentally dig deep when, when it starts to get hard. Right. Yeah, that was a really good point saying that, you know, the measurable progress, you might have ran a certain time last year, but unless you really push yourself and you're mentally focused and you're actually giving it the same effort and you're really, you know, conditions are similar, all those things, uh, that all goes into play. So sometimes, you know, you might run slower on a course and think, oh, I'm not in as good of shape. But at the end of the day, um, the, there's so many factors that go into that that race clock time and it might not be you know, as easy to compare one, one race to the other year after year. Um, mm-hmm. cause like you said, you know, if you're recovering from being sick three weeks prior, like it's going to take a toll on your, your fitness, um, a little bit. <clears throat> and so I guess a final question, cause a lot of people listening, maybe they don't work with us or they want to calculate this out themselves. How do you calculate like what paces you should be running based on, you know, your current fitness level and how do you know like what mileage to run, Um, how do you progress accordingly, I guess, is the biggest thing. Well, one thing I thought we've always done pretty well is we try to get a a good amount of info on each athlete as far as their previous training history. We look at all their PRs, but also recent race history for the last year, um, current uh, training, you know, patterns and habits, um, what's their weekly long run, that sort of thing, how many days a week are they running. So we try to get as much info as we can when we start to build their plan. Um, We will also try to do some sort of initial um, VDOT test or some sort of time trial so that we can measure where their fitness is at. So if you've done a recent 5k or 10k, we could use that. Otherwise we might just do like a two mile time trial just to see, um, how fast you are. And then we can kind of start to determine paces that you should be running for, you know, speed workouts for tempo runs for easy runs and all of that. So we really want to be, you know, not that there's an exact science, but I think the the smarter we can train, I think that that will yield the better results. And then as far as just building upon each week, I think it's important that we, we don't do too much too quick. And we also offer that variety of workouts so that we're not neglecting, you know, somebody's speed or their, their aerobic capacity. Right. Yeah, that was a good answer. And I think the biggest thing is, you know, there are more than one way to build a training plan. But if you're sitting there trying to figure out what you should be doing, if it's too much and you're and you're getting like anxious or confused or you have questions about it, um, you, you know, you don't want to guess at these things. You don't want to be at your training plan and say, well, I think I should be doing this and, and not be 100% sure that and confident in what you're putting down. Because you know, at the end of the day, all the things that you're doing and the runs that you're doing, the food you're putting in your body, that's going to equal your end result. So if you're guessing at that, um, probably not a good good route to go. There's a lot of resources that are out there, but again, putting it all together is kind of like, you know, an art and a science. And there are more than one way to kind of get to that end result. But, it, you know, if you're confused or you, you feel like yeah, you're unsure about it, um, it's better to maybe get a plan that's tailored to you or work with someone who can kind of give you the feedback there. Um, and I think just understanding and, and making sure that the plan that you're using is starting where you're at and um, not diving too deep and making sure, you know, the coach that you pick or the plan that you pick understands these concepts because, 
you know, anyone can put together a training plan. Um, anyone can write what you should run for mm-hmm. every day of the week, but you just want to make sure that the person who's writing this plan that you're going to execute it knows um, the science behind it and understands how to progress appropriately and uh, has experience doing it. Because unless you want to be someone's guinea pig, which, you know, I've definitely been there and been someone's guinea pig before. Um, and I've had people who, who wanted me to use them as their guinea pig back when I first started coaching. Uh, but, you know, a lot of times if you take your goals really seriously, you don't want to be someone's guinea pig. And so it's important to have a plan specific for you or a plan that you feel comfortable with. Maybe you have a background and you're just really into writing the training plans. You feel hundred percent confident. Um, then that's great. That's awesome. And you're probably going to do really well with it, but making sure, you know, your training paces are really appropriate because that's huge too. So not only are we progressing the mileage and the long runs appropriately, um, for the event you're training for, but also training at the appropriate paces and not the paces that you wish you were at. Um, so knowing what your current fitness level is at being honest with yourself and making adjustments as you go, because you know, if you're not already at a super high level, um, you might be making huge improvements after a six week period. Uh, so it's, it's important to retest and reassess where you're at. Um, and those are all just kind of benefits you get from working with a coach and having a plan that's tailored to you with the progressive overload principle. And I'm not trying to be like salesy here. I'm just kind of stating Mm -hmm. that this is why some people choose to have coaches and, um, it's, it's nice to have an outside perspective at times. Um, cause I think a lot of people, you know, when, when you see so many other workouts every day that other people are doing, it can be really tempting to just try to copy what someone else is doing um, and put yourself in their shoes. But there's so many details that go in to that individual's training plan um, that you wouldn't just want to copy what someone's doing. You would want something that's really specific to you and that's going to maximize your results for your body and your goals. Uh, so I guess, yeah, this, this kind of went over what the progressive overload principle is. And now you kind of know the correct way to train and the optimal training plan that's out there on the market. It's going to be custom to you using the progressive overload principle. So it's kind of a little uh, trick question. There isn't really one plan out there. It's finding the plan that's unique to you, 100% custom, um, and going to progress when you're progressing. So if you ever have any questions or maybe you want to try out a seven-day free trial of what this would look like for you, I would visit our website, www.runforprs.co, and you can fill out the form on our website, and then we can get you set up with a free seven-day trial. Um, or if you ever just want to chat about, you know, some of the principles or some of these topics that we're talking about, we'd be happy to chat with you about it get you connected with a coach. Um, we're always here. So until next time, thanks for listening.